please turn with me in our Bibles this morning uh, to Mark chapter 14. And we're continuing our way through Mark's Gospel. And this morning uh, we're looking at verses 26 to 31. And then looking down at the end of the chapter, verses 66 uh, to 72. Mark chapter 14, and uh, beginning our reading at verse 26. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, Even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, Truly, I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, If I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. And then reading down at verse 66. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the, servants girl, one of the servant girls of the high priest came. And seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with the Nazarene Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, This man is one of them. But again he denied it. And after a little while the bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. We have been noting uh, over the last number of weeks that the whole setting uh, of this uh, part of Mark's gospel is during the Passover and we have highlighted that according to the, the oral tradition of the Jews, there was a, a certain way in which the Passover was celebrated. Uh, from the usage of multiple cups, uh, even to the recitation of certain psalms. And as we're looking here in verse 26, it says, And after they sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And it's for this reason that many commentators uh, understand that when it says, and when they had sung a hymn, uh, it is referring to the end of the, the feast of the Passover, where at the conclusion there would be a recitation uh, of uh, Psalms 115 to 118. And if that's true, uh, that they were uh, reciting these passages of God's word, it highlights something of what was at the attention of Jesus, that there was... Uh, uh, this focus on the Lord is my strength and has uh, become my salvation. The Lord is my strength and my song. That this was the final meditation of Jesus before he goes out into the darkness of the night. 
before he goes to the Mount of Olives. But as Jesus is making his way to the Mount of Olives, he begins to peel back what is further going to take place. That, that before him uh, is more than just the betrayal of one of the twelve. Jesus here, as he is speaking with the disciples, is telling them that they will all fall away from him this night. And this morning, as we're looking at this passage, we want to see that because God extends his grace to those who have failed, uh, that we can find comfort and have a place to turn to with our failures in life. We want to look at these verses uh, in three thoughts, uh, but we really want to focus in on uh, the prediction of Jesus and then uh, the protest of Peter, how Peter protests uh, and objects to this prediction of Jesus. But first, then, we want to look at the prediction. Uh, There in verse 31, uh, uh, sorry, uh, uh, it says uh, in verse 27, uh, Jesus said to them, you will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Uh, Jesus here says it's not just one of them that is going to be a traitor, but all of them will disassociate from him. They will all abandon him uh, in his time of need. And when Jesus says that, he appeals to the certainty of it by looking to the scriptures themselves, that he says, uh, as it is written, uh, these things will be uh, fulfilled. Uh, For it is written, I will strike the shepherd. Jesus is quoting there from Zechariah, which we read already this morning. And in that passage, it said, Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who stands next to me, declares the Lord uh, of hosts. Strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. And in that passage, there's really three things that is being accented. Uh, It is a a passage about a shepherd. And in God's word, a shepherd is one who is described as being a leader over God's people. Uh, He is one who is in a position of leadership. But you notice here that it's not just a shepherd, one who is in a position of uh, influence or in a position of leadership, but he's described as my shepherd. This is a leader or this is one who has been appointed to this position by God himself. Uh, And so this is the Lord's shepherd. Uh, This is the Lord's chosen uh, appointment or the Lord's appointed leader uh, that is being uh, described. But in Zechariah, he's not only described as my shepherd, but he's described as the one who stands next to me. That what is being described here is something of the intimacy between the shepherd and God himself. Uh, The language here is very provocative, too, because in every other instance of that word, the one who stands next to me, it is found in the book of Leviticus. And in every occurrence, all 11 occurrences of that language, it's always referring to one's neighbor. Your neighbor is someone that you have something in common with. You, You share a common territory, But you also have a a vested interest in common concerns. That's what makes a neighborhood. We are are together wanting to have uh, a protected environment. We are collectively wanting to have a peaceful uh, place for us to live and to enjoy one another's company. Uh, But here, this language of describing the shepherd as the one who stands next to him is highlighting that he is someone who shares something in common 
with God. That he is one who has an intimacy of a commonality with God himself. This is, this is really hinting at something that the New Testament makes very clear. Because when you come to the Gospel of John at the beginning, it talks about the word became flesh, but in the beginning was the word and the word was with God. When John used that language in John's Gospel, the word was with God. The word with is the word that can be translated as face to face. It, it's, the, it's the language of nearness, uh, of intimacy. And what John was highlighting is, is that there is this, this eternal commonality, this eternal union between the Father and the Son. The Word has always been God, but he was also with God, distinct from the Father. And here is Zechariah using language that is preparing us and anticipating that same reality. The shepherd is described as the Lord shepherd, my shepherd, but he's also described as the one who stands next to me because he shares something of a commonality with the Lord himself. And so this is uh, uh, speaking to us about uh, the glory of this shepherd. But the third thing that is said in that passage in Zechariah about the shepherd is, is that not only is he my shepherd, not only is he the one who stands next to me, but it says, awake, O sword, and strike the shepherd. The sword is a, uh, used in scripture figuratively to describe judgment. Uh, it is to describe the execution of uh, judgment in a judicial way. And so here, this is the language of judgment coming against the shepherd. It is the language of execution coming against the Lord's chosen servant. But more than that, this passage in Zechariah is saying that this is all coming about because of the Lord's will. Awake, O sword, and strike the shepherd, says the Lord of hosts. This is something that the Lord himself is bringing about. And as Jesus is making his way to the Mount of Olives, as Jesus is descending into the depths, into the darkness, Jesus here tells his disciples what is about to happen. He's going to be betrayed, but more than that, he's going to be abandoned. The very company that has followed him will turn and flee. And Jesus says, this is going to happen, I guarantee it, because the scriptures say so. Because the scriptures that were talking about the shepherd were talking about me. And the sheep are you. And so Jesus here is bringing out this prediction about what is going to happen to the, the sheep. Awake, O sword, and strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. But you see, Jesus is doing this again to prepare his disciples. He's helping them make sense of events uh, and helping them to see the integrity of the scriptures in order to make sense of events. What is about to happen to these disciples is going to devastate them. And if they're going to be able to recover from it, they need to do so through the lens of what God's word says. And so Jesus says all of these things ahead of time so that they have a framework to understand what has just happened 
after these events take place. So Jesus announces the Lord's judgment against the shepherd uh, and tells his disciples to make sense of these events in light of the Old Testament predictions. But more than that, Jesus doesn't only predict what the disciples will do. You will all turn away. Jesus makes another prediction about himself. And you see that there in verse 28. Uh, He says, but after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Jesus has made this prediction many times. Uh, You remember that uh, Jesus predicted that he would be handed over to the Gentiles, that he would be betrayed into the hands of the chief priests, that he would be uh, suffer many things, that he would die, and that every time Jesus said he would be raised on the third day. But there is something new here. Because Jesus doesn't just say, I will be raised. Jesus also says, when I am raised, I will go before you. That language, I will go before you, you could also translate it as, I will lead you to Galilee. That the sheep who are going to be scattered, Jesus predicts and promises that he will lead them, he will regather them, he will restore them and go before them to Galilee. He will lead them uh, as the good shepherd. And so there is a prediction that Jesus is saying to his disciples here, not just about his resurrection, but about how he will deal with the disciples as well afterwards. So there's uh, the prediction about the disciples fleeing and about uh, Jesus being raised after. But there's a protest And that protest is expressed by Peter himself. In verse 29, Peter said, even though they will all fall away, I will not. Peter here is uh, adamant that he will not fall away. Uh, Even if it means dying, uh, he is willing uh, to stand with Jesus. He says that down in verse 31. Uh, So Peter here is very passionate about his resolve to stand with Christ. And we will see that resolve in some ways express itself even uh, when the arrest does take place. And yet we also see how wrong Peter was in what he said. It was wrong in Peter in multiple ways. It was wrong, we could see it in the sense that there was something of a condescending attitude uh, that could be hinted at in Peter's words. Though all fall away, I will never deny you. In other words, Peter's, as it were, saying, Andrew might deny you. James and John, they might turn away. But I could never do that. I won't speak for the others, these other disciples who have followed you as well. But I can speak for myself. And I know that I could never succumb to that kind of an action. And so something that Peter grants as a possibility, you could say, for Andrew to do, he denies as a possibility for himself. It's, it's the attitude that manifests itself when we go about our day and we look at someone else and we might say to ourselves, I could never do that. I could never be a person like that. I would never descend so far like that. But that attitude really beckons the question, why not? What keeps you from another state of life? What keeps you from making the choices another person has made? What is it that 
prevents you from any of these actions. There's more in common with other people than there is that separates us. And that when we see what other people have done and chosen with their lives, it should be a humbling thing, not something that makes us look down on them as though they are doing something that we could never imagine. Peter should grant the fact that if it's possible for Andrew to deny him, to turn away, then it must also be true that I could do that too. So Peter's first mistake is the sense in which he protects himself. He bubbles himself from such a, an action. Others might do that, but I could never do that. But his, his second error is the fact that he has so much confidence in himself. That Peter has this inward strength that he is relying on, an inward resolve that although they all turn away, even if I have to die, I will do that. There's, there's a, 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 a sincerity in those words, that he's sincere in what he is saying, and yet at the same time, it is resting on a very feeble foundation of his own willpower. Uh, what Jesus is showing his disciples, and to us by implication, is, is that we do not fully understand our, our own selves and what we are capable of doing. In the Old Testament, we have an example of this, uh, a parallel situation. Uh, it was an occasion in which the prophet Elisha uh, was speaking with a man named Hazael. And in that uh, situation, Elisha broke down and wept. And Hazael asked him, he said, why are you weeping? And Elisha turned and looked at him and said, because I see what you're going to do to the people of Israel. And Elisha went on and he says, uh, you will set on fire their fortresses. You will kill their young men with the sword. You will dash in pieces their little ones. You will rip open their pregnant women. And Hazael said, what is your servant who is but a dog that he would do such a thing? And Elisha answered, the Lord has shown me that you will be king over Syria. At that point, he wasn't. But how things would change and his actions would follow suit and he would do those things. What he didn't see in himself as even a possibility that he would do, he would end up doing those very things. But he couldn't see it in himself. And here, Peter expresses this resolve that uh, he will not fall away. He will not d deny Christ, even though Jesus has just said those things. And Jesus has said this is in accordance with the word of God. This is based on the integrity of God's word. We can be like Peter or Hazael. We can pride ourselves in our own willpower and think that we are above temptation. And so scripture teaches us that, therefore, anyone, uh, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he falls. So Peter's protest, though they all fall away, I will not deny you. Uh, shows something of an, uh, a wrongheadedness in the sense that he thinks he's exempt from these temptations, that he thinks of himself uh, uh, as able to sustain himself, but also uh, because it is a contradiction of what Christ has just said. Peter, in uh, his reaction, really is saying, no, Jesus, that's not true. But Jesus gets even more specific with Peter. And Jesus says, truly, I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. In other words, Jesus is saying, Peter, it won't be long. 
and it won't be by a mistake. It'll be this night, and it'll be done three times. And you'll notice that in Mark's gospel, it tells us that the rooster would crow twice. And when you think about Mark's gospel as being based on the testimony of Peter given to the church at Rome, Peter seems to be accenting that point. The rooster crowed twice. I heard it the first time, and it still didn't stop me. It won't be long, and it won't be by a mistake. You will deny me this very night. And so Peter's protest is wrong-headed in the sense that he is rejecting what Jesus has just said would take place. His words were no doubt genuine, but they were based on that uh, unstable foundation of his own inward resolve. By the end of this chapter, uh, we are told that after Jesus was arrested and he was taken to the uh, place of the high priest and, and he was being interrogated, we read down in verse 66 that Peter made his way uh, into the courtyard, uh, this open uh, area where there's no roof. Uh, Jesus is on the upper story and he is on the main level. Uh, and so G Peter is trying to look on and to see what is happening uh, as Jesus is being interrogated. But as this is all transpiring, we're told that one of the servant girls of the high priest comes and asks or and identifies Peter. Uh, seeing him, warming himself, she looked at him and said, you also were with the Nazarene Jesus. Something that starts very small and seemingly innocent is going to intensify and develop in Peter's denial. He will begin by denying Jesus privately. Then he will deny him publicly. And then he will deny him with cursing and swearing. He will deny Jesus before a servant girl. But then he will deny Jesus before the bystanders. Those bystanders may have included the very people, that very company that came and arrested Jesus in the first place. The intensification is building. Because first she says, you were with the Nazarene. Then she incorporates uh, the bystanders uh, with her uh, and identifies them as certainly uh, being one of them. Uh, this is uh, one was one of Jesus' disciples. And then thirdly, uh, the bystanders uh, press further and say, you were one of his disciples for you are a Galilean. Not only did Jesus, not only did Peter look like one of Jesus' disciples, but his northern accent gave him away. Maybe you've had that experience where you're speaking with someone and they can actually pinpoint where you're from just by your accent. I've had that experience, speaking and someone saying, you're from Canada. Just by the way you speak, they know where you're from. And here, Peter's from the north. He's a Galilean. He's down south in Jerusalem. And people say, you look just like Jesus' followers. You sound just like a Galilean. We're certain you are one. And so when the, the heat comes on Peter, he denies Jesus with intensity. It wasn't by mistake. It was out of fear. And Peter turns and it tells us, uh, and Luke tells us in his gospel that Peter uh, turned and saw Jesus looking at him. And the rooster crowed. 
When Jesus, uh, what Jesus had said uh, had come true, he had denied his Lord. And then it tells us that he broke down and wept. His inward strength had dissolved and he outwardly collapsed and wept. What went through Peter's mind through all of this when he thinks about Jesus looking at him? How could he make sense of what just happened? He was so adamant about what he was and who he was. And now he's faced with a very different notion of who he truly is. He had sworn that uh, he had uh, sworn against Jesus, even while he said he would stand with Jesus. Now he sees something of his own faithlessness. He sees something of his own helplessness, his confusion as to how he has come to this place. And so Peter's denial reveals something about Peter himself. But it's not just about Peter. The reason why the church uh, and people down through the centuries have resonated with Peter so much is because we can identify with him. Because just as Peter was someone who was quick to speak and someone who was quick to self-reliance, he was also someone who was humbled by a discovery of his own faithlessness. The heart is deceitful. And we may not know ourselves as good as we think. And so here Jesus tells the disciples, before it happens, you're going to deny me. You're going to run away from me. You're going to abandon me in the dark. And Peter says, no, I won't. Only to discover he's wrong. He did abandon his Lord. He denied him with cursing and swearing. But this passage is not just teaching us about Jesus' prediction. It's not just teaching us something about Peter's own problem of knowing himself. This passage is ultimately teaching us about the pardon that we can find in the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said these things to prepare his disciples, but to also pastorally care for them. Jesus here uh, uh, is revealing these things so that Peter would not end in despair. That despite Peter's unfaithfulness, Jesus would remain uh, faithful. As the good shepherd, Jesus came to lay down his life for the sheep. But as the good shepherd, he would also regather and lead his sheep onwards. Jesus here made that promise to his disciples. He said, after I am raised... I will go before you to Galilee. I will lead you to Galilee. And when you get to the end of Mark's gospel, the women are told that Jesus is raised. Go and tell my disciples and Peter that I go before you to Galilee. Peter had failed. Jesus had not. Peter had been unfaithful, and yet as the good shepherd, Jesus still draws him unto himself. Go and tell the disciples and Peter, because he's still one of mine. And so as you think about this passage, it is really helping us understand not just ourselves, but to understand the character of the shepherd. That the good shepherd goes after those who have strayed. The good shepherd restores those who have been unfaithful. The good shepherd 
protects those who belong to him. Jesus prayed for Peter's faith, we're told. And in time, Jesus would regather Peter uh, and to restore him uh, in his place. Part of the reason that we don't uh, want to hear these words, part of the reason that we tend to assert ourselves is because we don't know how to make sense of failure. On the one hand, failure can make us feel miserable and we can end in despair. You think about honor-shame cultures. What do you do when you are a failure? There's only shame. The other idea is to simply live in denial. I have never failed, and I never will fail. I have it all together. The gospel actually breaks both of those molds, that you don't have to live in denial of your failings, your unfaithfulness, your weaknesses, but neither do you have to despair because of them. You can respond with a dependence on the good shepherd, as Peter did. And so as you think about this passage, it's really forcing us not just to say, do I understand my own failings, but do I understand the heart of the good shepherd? Have you come to trust in Jesus? Or are you living in denial of your need? Or are you living in despair of your failings? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do pray that you would bless us as we think about the experience of Peter, how he protested uh, the word of Christ only to discover his own faithlessness. And we pray, Lord, that the discovery of our own sins would not crush us, but that it would humble us, that we would be people who turn to you looking for your mercy and finding it in and through the good shepherd himself. Go before us now, we pray in Jesus' name.